Why is God so angry? Isn't the Bible full of contradictions? How could God allow so much science just proves the Bible? Good. How can the how Bible can say the earth was created in six days? How can the Bible say the earth was created in six days? We have a pet cat, but uh, the cliche really rings true that I think the cat thinks she has uh, us as pets. Um, you, you can't force the cat to really do anything um, that it doesn't want to do. Um, growing up, I had a dog, and, and, and dogs are, are up for anything. Dogs are just excited to be around you, and, and no matter where you go, they just want to go with you. The cat is very, very different, and no matter how hard our kids try, to convince the cat to play with them, the cat has wants nothing to do with it. Uh, they, they can spend all day just trying to coax the cat, but the harder they try and work on the cat, the more stubborn the cat refuses. Um, the, one of the, the greatest commercials, I think, of all time is about cat herders. It's this spoof on cattle herders, and uh, you can look it up. It's, it's worth the watch. It's actually a, a really funny commercial about uh, the, these rugged cowboys who are herding cats. Um, but, but leading people is a lot like trying to herd cats. Um, the harder you try, uh, uh, the, the more you try and force people um, in one direction, the more people want to go in every other direction. It's sort of a, a rule of leadership. Um, Nehemiah is trying to lead people uh, to, to a certain place, to, to sort of setting up once again that this, this, this right worship within, within the city of God and, and making all things right within the people of God and establishing the covenant once again in the city of God. And, and Nehemiah continues to see the struggle over and over again in leading people. Uh, Nehemiah takes place about 20 years after uh, Esther. Uh, Nehemiah, again, is in captivity in, in uh, Babylon, which becomes Persia. He, so he's in Persia. And uh, Jerusalem is destroyed and it's in tatters. Um, uh, there is a party that goes uh, back to Jerusalem a little bit before Nehemiah's life. In, in Zerubbabel leads this group and they're going to resettle the city, but Zerubbabel kind of fails. They're able to set up a small little shell of a temple uh, within the middle of the ruins of the city, but that's it. So up on a hill, you've got the ruins of an old city and the small temple, uh, and that's all there is. And um, one day, uh, Nehemiah hears uh, about the state of Jerusalem, and it breaks his heart. He, he's broken, and he's, he's weeping, and he's mourning and lamenting. Uh, Nehemiah is a, a cupbearer to the king, and so he's, he's a pretty high official in, in the king's court. He tests uh, all of the king's wine to make sure that the king isn't being poisoned. And so uh, a pretty trusted official in the king's court. Uh, and, and through this sort of divine set of circumstances, Nehemiah is able to ask for a leave of absence from his job. Uh, the king gives him papers, gives him money, uh, and sends him back to Jerusalem. And Nehemiah goes back with this mission of reestablishing the city of Jerusalem. He shows up, uh, the city is just in ruins and tatters, and he begins to assemble some of the scattered people around, and, and he casts a vision for what could be, and he sets up sort of the, these... Uh, these systems and policies where uh, people begin to work on different sections of the wall, this wall that's been broken down for uh, nearly a hundred years, and, and they begin to work. And there's opposition that mounts, and people try and, and conspire against the building. There are threats. Nehemiah has to sort of set up guards as they're building. People are living sort of within this ruined city as they're, as they're rebuilding this wall. They start to starve. 
and in their starvation, even though they're so captivated by this vision that Nehemiah has, there's no food. And so other people are coming in trying to um, extort money and sell uh, food at a really crazy interest rate and buy up farms. And, and so there's this, uh, this injustice that's happening with the workers. And Nehemiah starts setting up systems in place there too to protect the workers. And sure enough, there's this amazing miracle that in 52 days, uh, they're able to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Uh, it's, it's this monumental event that he's able to pull off by sort of a, his administrative uh, brilliance. Uh, and, and his leadership is, is, is really uh, bar none at this point in, in the Old Testament where he's just such an amazing leader and administrator and, and systems guy. Uh, and they have this huge church service where they walk around the top of the walls. They're celebrating. They're singing. There's horns. Um, Ezra's reading from the Bible. They have this giant church service. Um, and, and there's this moment where they're on the walls, they're singing, they're celebrating, they're, they're submitting to the word, they're recommitting to the covenant. Uh, it's not quite at the end of the book of Nehemiah, um, but it seems like everything is going well. Uh, it's this, this, this hilltop hallelujah moment. And uh, Nehemiah is satisfied. He brings in, uh, sort of, a, once again, establishes uh, worship in this small temple and priesthood and, and tithing and giving. And he makes sure all the people are agreeing that they're going to follow the covenant. And then he goes back to work. He goes back to Persia, uh, having done his duty and really pleased with all that's happened. Um, but then he starts getting wind that um, a few years later that things in Jerusalem are starting to fall apart once again. Well, we pick it up here towards the end of the book uh, of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 6. Um, While this was taking place, I was not in Jerusalem. From the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I went to the king. And after some time, I asked leave of the king and came to Jerusalem and then discovered the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah, preparing for him a chamber in the courts of the house of God. And I was very angry and I threw all the household furniture of Tobiah out of the chamber and I gave orders, then cleansed the chamber and I brought back there the vessels of the house of God with the grain offerings and the frankincense. Um, so Nehemiah sort of catches wind that things aren't going well, so he returns to Jerusalem. And in the temple, they've set up an apartment for some of the opponents to the building project. Uh, so Tobiah um, was one of these guys who was opposed to the walls, was making threats, and, uh, and they set up a, a, an apartment building for him inside the temple. It's this abomination. It's, it's terrible. So Nehemiah comes, he starts throwing furniture out. He basically evicts him. Uh, he's chucking things out. He's bringing back the candlesticks, back the elements of worship and making it a temple once again. He's just so shocked uh, that things have come so far. Um, and then he comes to find out that the people have broken their covenant as well. They're intermarrying with the, the foreign people around them, which goes directly against the promises they had made to Nehemiah and to the Lord. Uh, and they're breaking that covenant even so far as their kids couldn't even speak Hebrew. They were so intermingled with the other sort of foreign people that their kids were even losing their language. All these reforms that Nehemiah had brought together were falling apart. Everything was failing. And we see it at the very end of the book of Nehemiah, after this amazing uh, work of rebuilding the wall and reestablishing the city so that people could move back in and, and restart worship in the temple. Um, here's what Nehemiah says at the end of the book. Um, and one of the sons of Jehodiah, the son of Elisha, the high priest, 
was the son-in-law of Sanballat the Horonite. And so uh, he, again, was another one of the opponents. Sanballat was one of the opponents of the building, a foreigner. Uh, and now the high priest's son is married to, uh, again, the, this enemy. Uh, things are just falling apart. No one is actually honoring the covenant, even the high priest. Therefore, I chased him from me. Remember them, O my God, because they have desecrated the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. Thus I cleansed from them everything foreign, and I established the duties of the priests and the Levites, each in his work. And I provided for the wood offering at the appointed times and for the first fruits. Remember me, O my God, for good. Um, the end of his time... Nehemiah is exasperated. He's exhausted. Um, the, the, the worship has fallen, just fallen apart. People aren't giving. The temple's uh, in, in disarray again. There's no maintenance happening. And so Nehemiah, out of his own pocket, begins paying for things. And he's trying to force people into this obedience. And he's so exhausted. At the end of this book, he just says, God, remember me for good. Remember the good things I tried to do. And he, he really is defeated as people like cats are just running in every direction to break the covenant and in sin. And what we see uh, is that, it, I think in the book of Nehemiah, which chronologically is actually the last book in the Old Testament. This is, this is actually, there's some prophets in around this time, but this is actually the moment where the Old Testament chronologically ends, right here. End of Nehemiah, where, where, where worship has been reestablished, the walls of Jerusalem are rebuilt, there is a temple, things are starting to go well, but people just fall apart. They continue to go after idols. And no matter how hard Nehemiah tries to force people into obedience, they're scattering to the wind. And it ends in this exasperation that the institution is failing and it can't force people to worship. Uh, and really it's because I think we see all the way through the Old Testament here in particular that, that laws and institutions can't force obedience. It's like my kids trying to pull the cat from under the bed. It can't force obedience. We have our sin nature and our sin nature uh, really uh, forces us to, in many ways to run away from obedience. It's like um, someone telling you, hey, whatever you do, don't open that door. Well, you may not even notice there was a door there before, but now all you want to do is open the door. Uh, that's sort of sin in our lives. And as soon as there's law, as soon as there, there are regulations, we want to run the opposite way. And, and what the book of Nehemiah shows us here at the end of the Old Testament is that the law and the institutions are not what we need. What we need is a new heart. Um, we see it in the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel promises that someday... Um, our new heart will come where we don't rely on institutions and laws. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Um, and so what's needed is not a new law. What's needed is a new heart. And that's what we see um, in the New Testament, we see that Jesus himself comes and through his blood, through his sacrifice, he cleanses us of that sin nature, that, that, that our inability to follow the law that we see all the way through the Old Testament, it was insufficient. In Jesus, God himself takes that on himself and he cleanses us so that he can give us this heart of flesh, remove the heart of stone and put his spirit within us. And so what we need is not more laws and institutions. What we need is a new, a new heart.
by the Spirit of God. And, and so the Old Testament really ends here setting us up for that, that, that all of these things that we see in the Old Testament, all of these institutions, all of these ceremonies, all of these laws are insufficient to actually give us the life that we were meant for. We need something else. We need the Spirit. And that's what we see here in the New Testament where Jesus comes in and actually brings that to us. So what does this tell us about the character of God? I think the first uh, is that we continue to see God's patience for his people. Uh, he continues to have patience even though this is our, our nature, is to be like cats and run. The plans of God is that he uses the failures of Israel here, the futility of the law, to show us that we can't save ourselves, that we can't force obedience, and we can't force obedience on others. We can't use institutions and rules. We need a new heart. We need the Spirit of God to renew our hearts. And in terms of God's purposes, we see that each story of the Old Testament works its way to Jesus. And Nehemiah rebuilds the city so that, that eventually the city can be resettled and Jesus goes into the city and into the temple which Herod will eventually build. And he flips the tables in there in, in the same way, uh, showing the institutions aren't doing it. But to fulfill the prophecy where Jesus goes into the temple, into Jerusalem, where he's able to witness in Jerusalem as this hub of his people, um, Nehemiah plays a role in that. So we see the Old Testament building up its way towards Jesus. Um, we don't need a new law. We need is a new heart. Let's pray. God, thank you for the patience that you have for us. And thank you that, um, that, that our salvation does not rest on our obedience to a law, but rather your obedience to the covenant, your sacrifice on our behalf. Thank you that, that we rely on that. Give us your spirit. Renew our hearts, soften it so that we can hear your voice and, and, and that our desire would be to obey. Um, not because we're forced to, but because it's our joy uh, to follow you because you love us so much. God, we thank you uh, for your word. We thank you for this story in your name. Amen. Once again, uh, we're here for you. We're with you. Um, please let us know if there's any way that we can help in this uh, difficult season of life. Um, we'll see you again soon.